declared righteousness, excuse me, righteous, uh, by the works of the law, he has something to boast about. But not before God. And, it, and so, like, just to build out of this uh, and to pick up from last week a bit, let's just go to, let's see, I believe I was in Galatians 3. Um, 23, so we can uh, set this up. Uh, Galatians 3, 23. Now before faith came, we were held in custody under the law, being kept as prisoners until the coming of faith would be revealed. And so and you remember uh, last week event called Quake Reversal, the idea that something from a point would radiate outwards, omnidirectional, you know, in every direction. And that's, uh, you know, the function of getting on the stage that kind of the picture would be even in Isaiah set up this room uh, this way, that things would go, in, you know, like in every direction out of our life, quake reversal. But before faith came, we were in a custody. And so uh, I mentioned to you last week, it was like there would be, if you were to think about this stage here, be like there's bars all the way around the stage and you can't get outside of uh, past those bars. And, um, you know, Paul's saying that in Galatians 3 here, until the coming of faith was revealed. So the law became a guardian until Christ so that we could be declared righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, uh, we're no longer under a guardian. So there's, there's no more you know, bars that are holding us back. There's the ability to move out and, and go outside of the parameters that have been said, you know, some people say, you, know, you can't put God in a box. You know, and I don't know how you are with this, but breaching fat, a past, um, I think Brad Ames calls it this, but a faith trust barrier is, is challenging. When the Lord begins to move on us and challenge us past the limitations of what we have previously understood, when the Lord begins to move on you, and, and ask you to come with him into something that's very or highly uncomfortable and um, you don't understand. I mean, you never will understand. You know, because it's faith trust for a reason because you're moving into a, an area of trusting which you do not understand. Um, even what you possibly have no emotional capacity for or intellectual capacity for. And God is moving on us, I believe he's saying, uh, come out beyond the barrier that is really encoded on many of us in our consciousness. Um, years ago, I was going through my third dark night, and I don't know if y'all are familiar with like, the dark night of the soul, but Elihu will say this in Job 33, that God had ordained these kind of nights, maybe once, maybe twice, maybe three times. And when the Lord begins to deal with some of us, He takes us through these really maybe dry or arid places, difficult places, uh, in the training of our senses. And and I remember I was almost like staring at walls because it's almost like when the Word begins to come close to you, St. John of the Cross said, you perceive God like the sun. When the sun shines into your eyes, you get a dark spot. 
And we perceive God many times when he comes near to us as in a way, it's not the illumination that we're picking up, but it's the darkness. And so if you feel highly uncomfortable or, you know, like you're being backed into a corner. And so when the word begins to come, or what the text is saying here, when Galatians 3, Romans 4, when the Lord begins to come near, to experience a sense of darkness or vacancy. And I remember I asked the Holy Spirit because I had spent, I don't know, two or three years in this protracted dark night. I found out later it was called the night of absence. And it's a sense of vacancy and where's he at? And it seems like he's withdrawn himself. And I asked the Holy Spirit, I, I said, what is going on? He said, I'm fracking your tricep cord. And um, I said, what? Did you, yeah, could you repeat that? What is a, a tricep core? And, you know, and one of the things that, that's, I believe, puzzled, you know, neurologists and uh, even on the neuroscience field side and even on the uh, psychological side is the nature of consciousness. It's, it's hard to pin down. And, you know, there's all these debates on consciousness and how it relates to, uh, in the human brain, how we relate. And, and I remember saying the word, you know, I thought there was two layers of consciousness. I didn't know there were three because, you know, he called it a tri-sub-core. And, and later on, he would begin to develop with me a, sort of a, a layering of consciousness of the way that a human being was developed. And um, and if you take notes, this might be somewhere where you take notes. And I realize that when God begins to deal with us and He asked us into this faith, into trusting Him, and brought us into these places, that He would bring us through, uh, to like, to bring Him to, to bring us to Himself. He would begin to take the what, the what of us, the doing of us. And begin to expose the doing and the what of us uh, in, in such a way that we wouldn't find our identity in the what. Um, us men especially, a lot of our identity is found in that. I mean, you ask a man, almost a man to man, put their hand in that hand. It's going to be within minutes. What do you do for a living? I mean, it's almost what is like the first place. Because, and who's your daddy or where did you come from? You know, who raised you, you know, or they'll say, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> I've heard that a lot. And I'm from around here. I was born in Fletcher. You know, it's like, no, I was born over here with all the rest of you guys. You're not from around here. <laughs> and so what what becomes, you know, an issue is our identity, our, let's say this word, it's kind of fancy, but science of being is called ontology. Our sense of ontology is, so much of it is related to what? It's an external reality. Um, getting our identity out of that. And then, but if, if you go on with the Lord, it, He starts to dig down into something else, and, and that would be the who. Now, who are you? And this is where um, the feminine uh, aspect really relates. Um, there's relational, the relational who is, is more in the feminine quality. And so a lot of people, especially uh, ladies, will um, develop around relationships and who they are um, in relationship to others. And that was the way that, you know, when God is going to meet with Moses and 
when, when he's going to meet with numerous, I think there's, there's numerous accounts in Scripture where when God begins to meet with someone, one of the first things they'll say is, who am I? Or, or who, I don't know who I am anymore. And so there's a question of, of the sense of identity is based in even who. Okay, we've got past the what thing down into the who. And then, you know, a few years ago when Collider began, he took us to um, the YMI. And he starts to get down into this cosmic reality or what people call and having an existential crisis. Not, it's why do I even exist? I'm looking at a deeper part of my why, and my own human existence. Why? Why? And I, I remember the words like, I want to frack the tri-subcore. Okay? I want to, when, when I'm moving you into a place of trust in me, I, I want to come, I'm, I can only meet you not on, I'm not going to meet with you based off what, who's, and why's. Because God is uncreated. And God is a lover. And He doesn't necessarily want to relate with us, I don't believe, on those kind of uh, subsets because they were meant to flow from uh, a relationship with Him in union with Him. So again, it's like when the Lord comes near, I'm going to I'm going to pull off the what, I'm going to bring off the who, I'm going to take out the why, and I'm going to bring you to your essential self and. Many of us um, in the middle of that can feel very alone or um, vacated and or despondent. Uh, Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard was a, a Danish philosopher and, and the way he talked about this was uh, being brought to a place of infinite resignation. Um, a, a place in where there's nothing left that you can do to make something happen. And that the, when the Lord begins to deal with us and calls us into something, He brings us to such a, a state or status in Him that it's He Himself that's going to perform the work that He's going to do in you. I believe this is the function of the Gospel. The function of the Gospel is built out of rest and not out of making something happen in the doing, the, the again, the, the being, or even... The cosmic philosophy and the why, but and a union with God where God is relating and mediating his life through you, integrating himself into you. And it's at that place, it's at that crux, I think that so many shy away from that point. I mean, it doesn't feel good to come to a place of infinite resignation. That there's nothing left that I can do to make something happen or bring something off. That I've come to the end of myself. I've come to the end of my reason. I've come to the end of my ability. I've come to the end of, of everything. And so when we're talking, when the Holy Spirit's saying, I draw in a people, and it tells me, you know, take them to Romans 4 last week. Take them to Galatians 3. I'm bringing a people like this because I want to bring you into the tree of life where real life is, where eternal life dwells in me. I want to relate through you. And back out from you. I want this, this union with you. And so, um, trying to secure oneself or to fix all these things that we try to manage all the time, 
a lot of times it's really fighting and resisting the Lord. You know, today when we're in, you know, just to jump over there, Exodus uh, 3 and Isaiah uh, 30, he's saying, don't place your trust in those systems. The Egyptians will only bring you shame. Come out from that and place your whole entire confidence in me. Put your whole self in me, and I'm going to call you into some areas that are going to challenge you, that aren't, you're not, you're not going to understand up front. And I'm going to, there's not going to be like a result that you can measure. I'm going to ask you to do things, be a part of things with me that you have no grid for. I think maybe this will be my task today because I'm wondering, what is my task in this preaching? Where are you taking me? The Lord wants, I believe, to take us beyond the what is seen into that which is eternal, into the unseen. You know, you know blessed is the one that doesn't have to see and what he means is in the natural but believes. They don't have to get a result first to be able to say, I'm going to step out and trust what you're saying in my life. All transformation and let's just say transfiguration happens in this kind of mode. When we worship here, that is the mode. What's going on is, at least what I've experienced for years with the Lord is, remove the what, remove the who, remove the why, so that I can interact with you. And then I will give you a double connotation. So I would just talk about this just a little bit because it's, and I, I do have some uh, podcasts on galactic progeny that if you want to unpack this a little bit more, uh, I believe it's called, one of them's called um, Moby Condor. Yeah, you can listen to that. And just get in, in more into the nature of what I'm speaking about today. But I'm not going to unpack Moby Condor. But so... We're committed to this transaction with God where he's beginning to, we're allowing him to have the what, the who, and the why. Um, you could call that a triple entendre if you wanted to. But we're going to say, Lord, we want you to repair our consciousness. Um, you, I mean, you can ask him for this. This is what I was requesting. I didn't really realize what I was asking him for for years. But, but now I can more fully tell you that when God begins to take your conscience and begins to restore it, it just is an open line to him where his light can flow through and back out. And it's not this where you're getting stuck all the time or get bumping up against something where you're having so many rubs and you don't understand. You can have like this quick action light. Uh, with God moving His life through you and relating to you, and, and you can begin to see and behold what it is that He's um, relating to you about. Because on the other side of, you know, the what, the who, and the why, it's like it's like this uh, mediation zone, of which uh, Jesus is the mediator that's paid for, like a veil of, that was rent so that. You and I can have access into the age to come that Hebrews speaks of. When our identity, again, I'm repeating myself here intentionally, but when our ontology, our identity is wrapped up in what, who, and why, it is a prohibitive way of being able to access through the veil. 
if that's our ontology, if that's our being, if it relates just like that, when we begin to, we can't cross over um, into a realm, that, the realm that I spoke of a few weeks ago, of the celestial realm, in, pull the celestial realm into to the terrestrial, this earth realm. So, so much of humanity is just uh, rife with this. I believe that that was really the whole purpose of why the Lord had to exile Israel because Israel got so wrapped up into the who and the wise that they no longer could relate to the one uh, that had ordained them and made them. And so the Lord places them back in exile and ordains for them uh, 70 years and then, and, then, and then later on in Daniel, say 70 weeks. The Lord ordains this exile picture, why? To draw us back to, uh, really, to Sabbath rest where we could rest in Him and then He would relate through us and transmit His life through us. And so there doesn't have to be, the, again, this a sticking, stopping point like uh, has been. And so you, maybe you could say this, you know, hey, Lord, frack my tricep cord. And maybe you don't want to do that. I, I stared at walls for a few years. Because as you know, Carol would drop me off somewhere and go do her thing. I just stare, you know, because I just had to wait on the Lord to repair what wasn't right, and it took some time of restoration. Now it's just—I I tell you—on the other side of this is just absolutely beautiful, and it's amazing how the Lord can relate to us so dynamically. So, okay, so through the what, who, and why, how do we relate in the age to come? Well, in, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, I'm not sure the exact verse, but it says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. And so, in the age to come, and, um, and you've probably heard me uh, talk about this, that you want to, you want to move beyond what is the external scene into the eternal. You move, you move beyond the sign or the symbols that are uh, just around us. And you're looking for, and your eyes become open to God speaking uh, to you through usually one, two, or three witnesses. He uh, primarily speaks through His Word. Uh, your primary source material is the Word of God. But what he will do when the word begins to relate with you is he'll take the word of God and he will use that and he'll usually use something else, like we could call that secondary source material or even tertiary source material, and he'll make an encounter out of it. You could know, call it an encounter. And he'll set up a double connotation. Now, you say, I don't know what that means. Well, I'm just going to give you case in point from this morning so that you can see it. I was demonstrating on the stage. Uh, Stephen and I come in uh, with the worship team. We don't, we don't really ever know how to lead anything that we're doing. Uh, we've uh, <laughs> made that clear. Um, we don't know what we're doing. And that's supposed to be good news. you know. <laughs> but we don't. Uh, we uh, give that over to the Lord that he knows what he's doing. He runs his house. And we're going to come up. We're going to begin. We're going to wait on him. We're going to do the best we can, jump out. And what we're doing is, what I'm doing every week is I'm waiting on the double connotation. And um, sometimes you'll see me up there, I might be frowning or something, and I might be looking 
in my phone. I'm trying to figure out what is God saying to our event? Because I, I don't know. And so today it was just, again, fascinating because Stephen began singing the very verses that I'm reading. I mean, he's not the exact same way, but he's highlighting. And I said, Lord, I need to know, are you speaking to us as a people about, he says, I will be their God and I'm going to rescue this people and I will uh, spoil the Egyptians. And then Stephen sings something to effect, don't put your trust in the Egyptians or something like that. And I'm sitting there reading it and I said, there it is. Now, that's what I'm looking for. And then I start to go through an interpretation. So the revelation has come from the Lord. There's a double witness. God's witnessing about himself uh, to us, speaking, uh, speaking and singing through the song. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness to his word to draw a connection. So, uh, so then what you do is once you receive that, you, you take that, that's called revelation or prophetic revelation. And so now you have a double connotation called prophetic, re prophetic revelation. And the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to go into something called interpretation. Because what you're looking for is an application. Now how are we going to apply through this process that God speaks? Now, I, I want to share this with you that our Father has a certain way of doing things. You know, um, you kids that are raised around your daddy, uh, your daddy's has a certain way of doing things. They, you, they, they do things a certain way. A lot of times I think we've thought that just the way our daddies do something or the way we do something or, or our moms do something or, or, or we in our own families do things, that that's the way God does things. I'm sharing with you what I believe is the most simple methodology of the way God communicates with his people. This is the simplest way I know how to give it. He's not going to relate primarily to you off of the what, who's and the why's. He's going to relate by his spirit when he brings you to the end of your trust in those things. And now there's going to be this place where you're waiting on him and you're looking for the double connotation. Or the triple connotation, where the Lord begins to reveal himself through his word or through the song of the Lord, or even through things that are around around you. I've, I've seen him do it with plant life, birds, car tags, chipmunks, squirrels. I mean, he has a way of relating. If he needs to get through to you, right? If your life, though, is being lived in such a way where it's primarily oriented, again, with what, who's, and why's, you won't see him. It's like because light is traveling so fast that it takes stillness to grab a hold of it. It's moving at such a rate that you, you have got to track it by slowing down. And if your life is so doing your own thing, you will not see that God is right around you, moving around you, actually trying to communicate with you. And the way he works, because he's a God of order, is he will build line on line and precept upon precept in your life. So if you miss the last precept, he'll set up another one for you to get the precept so you can go to the next one. And so he's 
readily and has all access from a trillion, billion, millions, whatever. Google. He has access to every aspect uh, around us that he can, he can change the situation and move it whatever way he wants to to get your attention. Remember, Moses is in the wilderness. Moses is being trained because he's going to lead Israel out of Egypt. He's being trained by the Lord. Not as a prince of Egypt, but everything's slowed down for him. He's watching sheep now. You know, however, they're just moving around real slow. Nothing's really happening for 40 years. What is God doing with him? The Lord is taking that stillness and slowness and beginning to show him how he's working all around him like this. Because he can't see. Him. And after 40 years, remember, it says, and I love this sentence, it says, Moses, what? Turned aside, Turned aside to see. The bush that was not consumed. When all these other bushes are all burning with fire in the wilderness, this bush is not consumed. He notices a distinct difference. What is the teaching point there? God is all around us like that. His light is moving at a high rate of speed. He's setting up encounters around you right now. He can... Do whatever he wants to to get your attention. But if, if our ontological being, our, our sense of being is relating just to what, who's and why, we're missing. That's why worship is such a, a, a primary thing in our life that we uh, take time to move into the spirit and worship the Lord. And we get still before him so that we begin to behold and see it's like, and I'm sure y'all know what I'm talking about. And he's like, he's right there. I didn't even see him. It, uh, it, it happened to Karen and I yesterday. I'm in the middle of something, and she's in the middle of something. And we find out we're on the same page. And, but if we wouldn't have communicated with each other, we wouldn't even have known. But we're just sitting right beside each other and almost missing it. And she says something to me. Or I look over what she's looking at. It says all creation groans. Is that what it's called, honey? All creation waits. Or and she's looking at a book on Advent for Christmas, and I'm over there in the middle of this whole complex thing with the Lord, and it, we have a double match. I mean, we have a double context. I was like, oh man, we this is amazing. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to her, speaking to me, and we have another one of those matches. So. So we come to a place where we say, Lord, and, and again, I didn't like this. Maybe you don't like this either. I was getting all my attention, all my affection, all my props out of my what? You know, because I was a pretty cool guy. Still am, but still. I was like really getting a lot of attention out of my what? And it was keeping me from even having any relationship with the Lord. He's like, you're... You're so externally focused, you'll never even pay attention to the eternal. So he had to put a big X nay on all that what stuff and bring us up on that top of that mountain and shut everything down just to be able to pay attention to him. And I'm grateful to him for that. Across, across that barrier that Jesus paid for in the age to come, we can relate to God. We can have <laughs> such a dynamic relationship across the veil. 
Across the veil, again, it'll bring you to the end of yourself. It's the end of what you can do. You don't go through that with burdens on your back. You don't go through it with, I'm a big shot. You don't go through that veil like that. You go through it like this. You don't bring anything, and you don't bring anything there. You, you just bring yourself, and you bring a thankful heart, and you cross over. And that crossing over is for right now, and it's for every moment of your life. Until, and this is what this is what I want to suggest to you. What happens when you cross over, there's a couple things that happen here. There'll be two primary things that happen out of the double connotation. You can take these down if you want. The Lord will impart righteousness to you. He will give you his character. Now, you know, I think, I don't know if you think this way, but I used to think this way. I don't really care. You know, I don't care about getting God's character. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. And you don't have to trust me on this, but I, I think that everyone in here probably knows better that now than I did that you want God's character. We need the very character and nature of God because the other thing he gives you is a sense of who you are. He tells you who you are. It's, it's called self-discovery. He reveals to you a component of who you are and, and, and an anointing for, uh, for, for your life. The Lord is saying, I'll give you my, your character and I'll give you an anointing. I'll give you this double thing out of the age to come so that you live out of it. So you have these words over your life about, about the life that you're meant to have in him. However, it's connected in such a way in a relationship with the father that you must come to him like in this way to integrate with him to receive what he has for you. You receive his character, his very nature, um, uh, the AWP calls them the communicable attributes that are uh, given freely by the Lord. They're imparted. So in every one of these encounters that you come to with the Lord, again, there's this impartation of righteousness, an impartation of the very of his very nature, and in a greater sense of the expansion of who you are. So that now you come out of that, and it what I've experienced is it goes back from back through to why, who, what. You, you'll find that, and then maybe some of you have found this in your life, that your identity is so shifted that you can't relate to the person you used to be. You've got to learn how to like use a new per like a new person. It's like who is this person? Uh, how do I relate in this new body of this Christ in me? It's relating in a different way in a, in a different capacity of thought process. It changes your whole entire mind because you're beginning to take on the mind of Christ, and that's how that's how you perceive and take His mind on is through this, again, this restoration of consciousness and, and change. 
Why is this important? I mean, why, why is it important? Because literally the things that many of us are looking for in the external world, the things that we're wanting to see changed, that we have dreams and, and desires to see them come into fruition, they won't. Uh, they, they won't as a believer unless there's this encounter with the Lord like this. I haven't been to a lot of funerals because I don't like to go to them personally. And I've buried a few people. And I can tell you this, that, that isn't exciting, but I, I've known people before they pass away. And they say that the Lord told me I'm going to do this thing for him. And then I'm this person. And I've watched them go to their grave and not accomplish what the Lord's told them. And so that I know that it's possible. It's possible to have a great call in your life and be chosen by the Lord and not accomplish what you were made for in the Lord. Uh, because I've seen it with my own eyes after a number of years. And I said, oh man, that's not good. Uh, because you want to in this life fulfill the greatest purpose in your life that you possibly can. You want to go all the way with who you're made to be, right? And so giving you today from the Lord is um, important. Uh, because, not just because of now, but it, it will affect uh, your life for trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years. Alright, so back to Romans 4. And, and I want you, and I know you're going to see this, I mean you'll see that how this one man and his wife, how that their life has impacted generation upon generation upon generation. So Abraham was declared righteous by the works of the law. He was something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited unto him for righteousness. I just found out recently, and this is, you know, this passage comes out of Genesis 15. But what, what had happened to Abraham, and this is fascinating to me, in, in the Hebrew, the way the Hebrew is written in, in Genesis 15, it says, and, and Abraham was in his tent, and the Lord brought him outside. And many scholars now believe that God brought him into an experience or a vision, even outside of this tent. And he, he says something to him. He says to him, Basically, you're going to have descendants that are going to be as the seashore, the sand of the sea. And they're, they're going to be uh, star-like in their capacity. He was saying two things to Abraham when he was talking to him. He was saying to him, there's going to be a quantitative uh, blessing that's going to come out of you and a qualitative one. And the qualitative blessing, the, the quantity was meant all these generations are going to come out of you. And then quality is, is they're going to shine like the stars. Abraham believed that. He, he believed in a glorified humanity. He believed, and this is what scholars I'm reading right now are saying, like Matthew Tennyson, uh, David Burnett, uh, Michael Heiser, are saying that he trusted and believed the Lord really in the transformation or the another word would be the astralization or 
the deification of man. He, he was believing that what God was communicating to him was, I'm going to take humanity and I'm going to so transfigure them that they will be glorified. He, and they will become star children. <laughs> Abraham was believing what literally is taking place in this ministry right now. He was trusting that in that it was God's intention that there would be such a transfiguration inside of humanity that they would glorify and they would become like the Lord. It says Abraham believed God, but here's the crux. Abraham believes that in the face of a wife who is barren. That there is no possible way that he can have an offspring. And he trusts that the Lord, what he said to him, will come to pass. When it's literally impossible. So it's like a, a double impossibility. And I want to suggest uh, today that when the Lord calls you into, just like with Abram, when he, when he calls you into something, and he's, he asks you to go with him about something, that it's always going to be impossible. It's, it's not something you're going to be able to do or make happen. It's, it's something you're going to participate with him in, but it's not going to come off because uh, you're, you're capable of doing it. Um, again, Moses in the Exodus section of the day is going to be, the Lord's going to tell him, hey, you little shepherd guy that doesn't know who you are anymore. You're ready now. Now go tell the elders of Israel that you've been raised up by me to deliver Israel. <laughs> well, nobody's going to believe me. You know, here I am, and uh, who, who am I? And you're telling me to go tell them who, who you are. You know, this doesn't make any sense, right? And he says, I will be with you. My anointing will be with you. I, I will go with you. I, just go and do it. Uh, like Abram and Moses, their, their belief is not just intellectual. It's, it's requiring an action. They're, they're moving out into something. They're believing and trusting the Lord for something. You know, um, I'm sure Abram's going to go tell Sarah and say, we're going to have a baby. And so let's get trying. <laughs> he's got to do something. He has an action that he has to do to have a child, right? Moses has an action he has to do. So when God calls you to faith and to trust him, there's an action that goes along with it. And you can feel really... I don't know. At least I have. It feel like I don't have anything. I don't know how this is going to work out. I I don't know. You know, how are we going to do this? Just go do what I tell you to. Again, you find that in the double connotation. You don't find it anywhere else. You find it in the relating with him. You find it in in the voice that comes out of the fiery bush, or you find it. You find it with him in that way. He's going to speak to you. You find it at the end of yourself at the uh, infinite resignation. And so now it's been credited to him for righteousness. So now what I was saying earlier, God credits him righteous. And then he goes on to say, Paul says this, now to the one who works, his pay is not credited uh, due to grace, but due to an obligation. And so, and we know what James says, that faith without works is dead, right? And so God's not 
God's not denying works here. He's saying, don't put your works, uh, go do your works. Go believe me in faith what I'm revealing to you and let your works follow. <laughs> don't put your works ahead of your faith. Just going and doing and whoing and whying. Don't do that. Just come find out what I'm doing and then just follow me in simply out of that place. And I declare to you righteous based out of that. So the one who does not work but believes in the one who declares the ungodly righteous, his faith is credited unto him as righteousness. So David himself speaks regarding the blessed of, blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not impute sin. You see how the character transformation happens here? When you trust the Lord, you're receiving His righteousness. You're being transformed. You're, you're not being transformed because you try to get attention or affection from the Lord and trying to make something happen to get His attention. No, you're being transformed because in the relating with Him, you're moving out trusting what He's saying. And in that place right there, Transformation is happening in your life. Let me suggest transfiguration. It goes on to say, is this blessedness for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? Because it says faith, we say faith was credited to righteousness, uh, credited Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited to him? Was he circumcised at the time that he was made righteous? Answer is no. no. Again, Abram doesn't, he doesn't have the ethical things that maybe God's requirement is future tense already set up in his life. He's doing what the Lord is telling him, and so that the ethical things will follow him later. And God credits him righteousness whether or not he's got his act cleaned up or his, his whole entire life cleaned up or not. There's a lot of people think that the only way to, to relate to God is to get everything right and then you can relate to Him. No, it's not. And this is, you know, this may seem like very basic to y'all today. It's like, oh, we already know this, Carol. Why are you saying this again? This is like common sense. Everybody knows this. But this is what the Word told me to say. So, and he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised, so that he would become the father of all who believe but have never been circumcised, so that they too could have righteousness credited to them. He's also the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham possessed when he was still uncircumcised. Is he saying God has made a God has made a way for uh, the Jew and the Gentile, whether they're circumcised or not? Here's the point: uh, faith is what matters. It's the relating with the Word, whether in circumcision or um, uncircumcision. Now, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not fulfilled through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if they became heirs by the law, faith is empty and the promise is nullified. For the law brings wrath, because where there is no law, there is, trans there is no transgression either.
For this reason is by faith, so that it may be by grace. But the result that the promise may be certain to all descendants, not only to those who are under the law, but to those who have the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. I have made you the father of many nations. What is going on here? Abraham's being given a promise that he will be an inheritor of land and sea. Now, I will tell you, at the basis of every single human being is this desire. If you really get down to it, you desire seed and you desire land. It's, it's, you were made that way by the Lord. You were made to possess land and you're, you were made to be a part of family. And it, you were made this way by God. We all were. And we were made to take, uh, and we were made to be heirs. So this isn't just righteousness, receiving righteousness is not some just abstract thing. It's the very character of God that brings you into inheritance. Um, and that you, you guys know this, that many people that set up trust funds and things like that, they put this limit on it and they say, well, some of them do say, well, the child has to be 21 and or whatever, and they have to show certain qualities. Uh, don't hand them a million dollars or two million dollars or whatever, fifty million dollars, unless they have this certain character. Now, I think our father is very similar in that way. He said, well, I want to relate to them. They need my character. There are things that I would like to uh, bless you with and give to you and take care of you, uh, give you an inheritance. Uh, but I, but it's necessary that you have the very my very character in you installed in you so that it can be commensurate with the anointing I have in your, on your life. And so, I mean, we don't want to, I, I don't think we want to, we want to basically partake of his character in this way. So we're going across the veil. We're in the age to come, receiving a double connotation. Looking for the triple connotation or double connotation. How are we relating to you, Father? Letting life slow down enough so we can have a relation with him. Seeing him operate in our life, working with us, communicating with us. Taking that revelation, going through an interpretation with him and applying it to our lives. It's that process. And then the next one you go through. And the next one you go through. And the next one you go through. And the Lord is building and developing character in us. For Abram and Sarah, it took about 25 years. Uh, for Israel, it took 40 years, but it really didn't have to take more than 20-something days. I'll close with this, Mark 9, 23. Uh, and, and Stephen saying on the first song, it was a verse that uh, was given yesterday morning. He's singing it, and I had it yesterday morning. I had another double connotation. And I believe it says it, um, if, I, if, I'm, if I remember it right, it says, anything is possible uh, for those who believe. All right, so quick reversal. Any point in all directions moving around right okay what's today called it's called qualia Listen, I don't know what that means well it's taking these experiences with the Lord like these double connotations and being able to track them 
and being able to look at them and say, there's the Lord relating to me out of these experiences I'm having with him. And then bring those, that what, qualitative analysis, if you want to call it that, of the Godhead and bring that into reality. All right, let's stand together. So, so if, if the Lord's moving you in this direction, you can run like that on that vector. But if he's got you over here, you can run in this vector. Or you can go backwards in that direction. Or you can go anywhere. Everything's an option. In quake reversal, uh, any path is available. So we're not um, stymied by one direction or being fixated in one uh, component because... Everything's an option from the north to south, the east and the west. So we're not getting fixated ourselves into one quadrant or one place. Because our life can go omnidirectional now. And what, what we're doing though is we're recognizing that and saying, okay, anything is possible for the one who connects to him. And so he's here. And there's a double connotation. 285 degrees. There's a double connotation 90 degrees. There's a double connotation at zero degrees. There's a double connotation at 180 degrees. You know what you have? You have a throne seated on man's heart. God rules, where the Lord's in charge. You know what you have? You have a chariot. You have, you have, you have what, what the Jewish mystics called the Merkaba, the chariot, the throne chariot, seated on man, moving in any direction. You know what you have? You have a mobile throne. God's got him a human being that he can do something with. So the, the Lord's over here and you're over here. No, no more, no more distance between us, but I will be Emmanuel to them. I will be with them. I will be a God to them. I will be inside of them. I will be co-located with them. Because they, they'll they're going to live like Paul said. I live and move and have my being in him. He's there, but no, he's over here. No, he's over there. It's, where is he? Tell me where my beloved is. The bride was saying she was still immature. He's right here. No, no more is it a faith towards God, but it's a faith of God. It's God running your your anthropological frame. Now you become complete reversal. You can track the quality, qualia, the subjective experience now is yours because in you, and transmitting out of you, this life of God is running your being. And it's glory. It's, it's no more disconnection. He's got your mouth. He's got your mind. He's taken over. 
time, every time we cross through the veil, what eventually happens is you just live, you begin to live over there. You live across the veil. Your whole entire life lives where the terrestrial and the celestial are one. It's been such a transfer and so God's very own nature into your very substance materially that you become and look just so much like Him. You've been so changed by Him, so transformed, so transfigured by Him. Encouragement today is don't, don't give up. Don't give up. You find yourself back, knocked back into the terrestrial. But without the celestial, don't give up of saying, I'm going to run a risk again with you, Lord. I'm going to run a risk with you again. I'm going to come with you again. I'm going to... I got knocked back into my old self, and I don't want my old self running this self. I want you running it. I'll not be satisfied with nothing else except that God himself is running my body, running my frame, running my humanity. I'm so submitted that my own DNA is trying out and praise to Him and glorifying Him. Every component of my life is His. That the Word of God is mighty even in thy mouth. That even if you were to go into the depths of hell, He is there. Or if you were to go to the heights of heaven, He is there.
strange by the trial. Don't think it's strange. When the Lord sets up your encounter for you, recognize what it is for what it is. Everything the Lord is doing is for this enhancement I was speaking of last week. To enhance, to restore, because He loves us. Nothing He does is to punish His children like Shining bright. 